Today on To Win the Many, we have Dr. Jake Rakowski. Dr. Rakowski is a professor of evangelism and pastoral leadership at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. He's also the director of the Doctor of Ministry program. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Jake. You're welcome. Uh, Dr. Jake, of course, we want to start off. We'll get to evangelism, pastoral ministry, all that. Um, as our listeners will notice, you have a bit of a different accent, that, of course, than mine. Uh, mine's straight Mississippi. Well, mine, uh, mine is North Mississippi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, mixed with a little something else, something, right? Something else. Uh, so how does, how does someone go from being born and raised uh, their formative years in the uh, the former Soviet Union to now being a professor of evangelism and pastoral leadership at New Orleans Seminary. Tell us a little bit about your story. Um, in short, it's God's grace. It's God's grace. So as uh, Dr. Newsom alluded, I grew up in uh, the Soviet Union and under communism. My um, parents, though, my grandparents were believers, followers of, uh, of Jesus Christ, and they, from early age, uh, instructed me in the way of God. And as a young man, I had to deal with three major outlooks on life. The first one was obviously the outlook of communism that taught there was no God, that uh, Christianity was a crutch for the weak and in, in um, unintelligent people. And then I had um, another outlook of um, Islam because at that was early, uh, late 80s, nine, uh, where the Soviet Union was about to collapse, and so we had a lot of missionaries from Saudi Arabia and other nations, and it was a kind of an Asian periphery sending their missionaries, and some of my friends were becoming followers of Islam. And then on the other side, you know, I had Christianity. And uh, I think the passage that kind of um, helped me uh, understand what I needed to do was uh, John seventeen three, and this is the meaning of eternal life that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ that you've you've sent. And as I wrestled with this passage, I thought to myself: In communism, you cannot know the founders; you could know about them, their teaching. In Islam, you could know the teaching of Islam, but you could not know personally the founder of Islam. He's dead, and his ashes were scattered. Uh, but in Christianity, not only you could know the teaching and know about a person, but you could know the person of Jesus Christ. And that passage really opened my eyes to the gospel. I came to faith in Christ uh, and um, you know started growing in Christ. And a little later, uh, God called me into the ministry. And um, providentially, um, I was living, I moved to, uh, to uh, Los Angeles area. Uh, I had some relatives that were living there and was entertaining the idea of perhaps going to uh, the Master's Seminary, Master's College. They were really wanting me to go there. But then a friend of mine told me about Blue Mountain College in Northeast Mississippi, and I made a commitment to him. I said, if I have enough money, I will fly and check it out. And interestingly enough, the ticket was um, about the airfare was uh, four hundred fifty-seven dollars, and I had five hundred and sixty dollars, and so I said, look, I interpreted it as God said, you know, you could go, and so yeah. I flew, um, and um, just fell in love with the school, and um, got my education there. Then my Bible professor was Dr. James Tra James Travis, well-known professor who was a good 
graduate of New Orleans Seminary and a good friend with Dr. Level. And uh, when I was contemplating where I go to seminary, he said, boy, there's only one seminary in the Southern Baptist Convention that is reputable. <laughs> where are you going? And so you called Dr. Level, and, and then I ended up coming to New Orleans, uh, finished my MDiv, PhD, was a pastor locally um, at first in Springfield and at First Baptist Ponchatoula, and really was having a terrific time serving as pastor. Never really, even though I was working in the PhD, I really wanted to stay in, stay in the local church, um, you know, because I felt that that was my calling. Uh, but um, almost 16 years ago, Dr. Kelly and Dr. Lemke called me and asked me to consider coming and joining the faculty. And it was a really, a, I had to wrestle over this. I really didn't anticipate doing it because, you know, my primary calling is a pastor, not an academician, even though I was, uh, I finished my Ph.D., um, but the Lord really clearly spoke to me um, about this, and so 15 years ago, I joined the faculty, and here we are. You were at Ponchatoula then? Right. Mm-hmm. When they call. Yeah. Um, so you just mentioned your Ph.D., uh, your doctoral work in the area of evangelism, specifically with your dissertation, you were looking at uh, pastors, the connection of pastors and evangelists, evangelism, excuse me. Um, and you don't have to, to take us into all of the, the minutia and the, the stats and all that fun stuff, right? Right. But at, at its core of your findings um, are the close connection in that the pastor leads the way in evangelism. Talk to us a little bit okay. about your research, right. how that works, and the connection yeah, with the so, local church. Um, this research is based on – um, interviews and questionnaires with um, uh, with pastors that led churches that averaged 500 to 1,000 in Sunday school, so it's sizable congregations. Um, and um, over 300 people participated in the study, so it's a you know rather large sample, you know, statistically speaking. And so when so when I was thinking about how to measure what pastors do in the area of evangelism. Especially in the area of personal evangelism, I uh, uh, looked specifically at three major categories: what the pastor preached about evangelism, what the pastor taught about evangelism, how he taught his congregate um, church members to, to witness. You know what he did in terms of classes, whether he did it informally or formally, uh, different categories, and then what he did personally. And so then just looking at various uh, aspects of that, um, you know, I found out, you know, running pretty rigorous statistical analysis that the greatest predictor out of those three categories was not what the pastor preached about evangelism, even though it was important, not what the pastor did in terms of training or teaching his church members in the area of evangelism, but the greatest predictor for health and growth of the church was the past, what the pastor actually did. That was the greatest predictor of evangelistic effectiveness as measured by baptisms in, that, in those churches. And so for me, the implications of the study is that, yeah, the pastors need to continue to preach and teach in the area of evangelism, but if you really wanted to impact the culture of the congregation, he has to lead out personally. Yeah. He can't be one that says, do as I say, not as I do. Right. Huh? It has to be both. 
So how, as he is going out and doing evangelism, what are some good ways that pastors can first let their people know that they're engaged in evangelism personally, Mm -hmm. and secondly, um, incorporate others into the work? What are some of those ways that you've found? Uh, So it starts, um, you you know, when I think about holistic approach toward evangelism. It's not about like, hey, selecting one method or just going to a one conference and just saying, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I think about uh, biblical principles um, that uh, we see in, 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 in the text. Um, and what I mean by this is in the Bible um, has to say a lot about plowing, you know, plowing the fallow ground. So it, and for me, it speaks of the heart issue. So, so the first uh, thing, whatever methods you use, you have to deal with the heart. That's ultimately it's about the heart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then the second aspect, the Bible talks about sowing uh, the seeds of the gospel. So, um, you know, whatever method you use, methodology, technique, you know, when, when we're dealing with the church or when we're dealing with just personal relationships, you've got to sow the seeds of the gospel in the lives of people. And so how do you do it? By verbally sharing Christ. It doesn't matter whether it's whatever presentation that you yeah. have. Then the third aspect is is what I call watering or cultivation. You know, the Bible says, you know, I've planted, Apollos watered, but God has given the increase. And so it has to do with relationships and um, you know, sharing the gospel, maintaining contact, um, you know, clarifying the gospel in the lives of people within the context of, a, of, of, of relationships. Uh, then the next one is, uh, is harvesting. You know, the Bible does, has to say a lot about harvesting. Eventually, when you share the gospel, you have to give an opportunity for people to say yes or no to the gospel, how are you doing it personally. Yeah. And then the last uh, component is, is multiplication. You know, it's not just about leading somebody to faith in Christ, but you want that person to become a mature follower of Christ. So when I'm thinking about, so let me take those five concepts mm-hmm. and apply it in my personal life. So yeah. uh, personally, I'm looking at my heart. Is my heart right? Uh, because if your heart is not right, you will not have passion for evangelism. You have not. You will not have fruitfulness in evangelism, so you're pursuing holiness, you're pursuing purity, you're pursuing the heart of God. Uh, then, personally, you're asking yourself, what am I doing every week? You know, my uh, evangelism professor uh, used to challenge me and the people in his classes that, hey, at least select one person or pray for one person that you could witness to per week. Uh, we have... Monday morning prayer that that Kasky that you guys mm-hmm. have practiced and so you know for the past thirty years every you know since that personal evangelism class I've attempted to ask the Lord to at least give me one person that I could verbally uh, share the gospel with and so how do you sow the seeds of the gospel then uh, the area of cultivation because you know people in different stages. And especially when you're a pastor, you know, you're dealing with people in the community and you witness to them, but then, okay, they said no, does it, does it mean that you don't, you stop talking to them? No, you just, it's about cultivation. You're now watering yeah. 
as a farmer, you're watering the seeds of the gospel in lives of people. And then personally, then you're looking for those open doors, and you know, the Lord will provide those op- open doors through crisis or through some um, other interactions where you feel the Holy Spirit might lead you to actually, again, press the issue of saying, you, you know, sharing the gospel and then asking a person to respond, saying yes or no to Christ. And then if that person responds, then, you know, it's your responsibility as a pastor to um, provide um, a safe, healthy environment uh, for that person to grow in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so that's personally, you have to do it personally. Yeah. Uh, but then, as a pastor, you're thinking, how are we going to do it corporately as a church? You know, what are we doing to equip yeah. our uh, church members to plow? <laughs> what are we doing to get their heart sensitive to the Spirit in their lives? Then what are we doing as a congregation in our church calendar to uh, provide opportunities for us to sow the seeds of the gospel in lives of people? Then... What are we doing to help our congregation to so uh, to cultivate, develop, enhance those relationships uh, for the gospel? What are we, and then what are we doing? And that's critical. What are we doing as a church to provide those harvesting opportunities? Because here's what we've done. Uh, I'm, I'm afraid in the Southern Baptist Convention we are trying to harvest in an unseeded generation. You know, mm-hmm. we want to have harvest, but mm-hmm. have we really sowed the seed of the go- seeds of the gospel in the lives of people? And But then the reverse might be true. We might be sowing, but then we do not have those harvesting opportunities for people to say yes or no to Christ. And then what are we doing when those that have come to know Christ, what are we, what are we doing as a church to develop them and to help them grow in Christ? And so... Thinking about those five elements of a biblical strategy for evangelism, you know, could be transferable to your life. And then when you're working in your life, then you could work it out within the context of your congregation. Yeah, that's good stuff. Um, so there's a, the sense of the, the cultivation or the plowing of the field with prayer and preaching and, and really trying to impress upon our people, really – uh, allowing the Spirit of God to impress right. upon our people the need for that. Then with the sowing and then the harvesting, what are some practical things that you've seen? Um, are we talking about, and, and if maybe all of this, might be a combination of all of this, are we talking about a weekly time where we designate, you know, Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock, hey, you meet up here, we're going out and sharing the gospel. Is this a... Um, the pastor takes the deacons at certain times through the week. Is this, well, no, you guys in the church as you're out at work mm. and at recreation, or is this we have large events yep. and then the connection between those sowing opportunities and those harvesting? That's a great question, Dr. Newsom. I think um, as I think of the Great Commission – you know, we're to make disciples out by going, baptizing, teaching people to observe all things that Jesus has commanded us. And you have those three participles, and uh, go is a participle, and people saying, you know, there's two views. Is it as you are going as a part of a lifestyle, or is it as you are going intentionally somewhere? And I think it's both. Yeah. And so at the, whore, at the core of evangelism is for you, for evangelism to become a part of your lifestyle as you're going, eating, 
at restaurants, you know, praying with people, looking for opportunity to share the gospel, and you know, with people that come to your house, and people that you encounter in various avenues of life. And so as you're going, you are sowing the seeds of the gospel in the lives of people. But then also, uh, I believe that people, churches, denominations that don't drift toward evangelism, they only drift away from evangelism. And so you have to constantly as a pastor prioritize um, intentionality for evangelism within your church. Mm-hmm. And so even though you equip your people to for it to become a lifestyle, I still believe you need to have something on the church calendar yeah. that, if nothing else, prioritizes uh, saying evangelism is important. Like I'm serving in right now, about to wrap up um, as an interim pastor at First Baptist Zachary, so I'm just an interim, right? So mm-hmm. I'm just yeah. supposed to preach. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I really felt that you know, because of COVID, we've just have constrained the gospel to the four walls of the church, and so I've challenged our people to once a quarter to do what we call what we've called the Go Sunday. So at two or three o'clock, we'll come together as a congregation. You know, I'll challenge you to come, and we'll do three things. One, um, you know, we'll do evangelism in the shadow of the steeple because I've become convinced that. People in the in the immediate vicinity of the church, they could see the steeple, steeple. They could see the church, but they really don't know that the church exists there. And so I said, you know, I'll be here. You know, God willing for a year. So I want us to cover the entire area. So we'll go knock on doors. We'll go engage people with the gospel, and I'll train you how to do it. And then the second aspect will will you know if you cannot go out you know you could be a part of the prayer team you know praying around the community praying within the church and then the third uh, group you know if you cannot go you cannot pray you could write cards everybody could write cards to prospects you know prayer cards you know and and so we've been doing it and actually this past sunday incidentally was the last ghost sunday because they're about to call the pastor that I was able to participate, and um, and uh, we were able to, according to the lady that has kind of um, been spearheading logistically all the neighborhoods, that we've covered everything within the shadow of the steeple. Wow, that's awesome! <laughs> what a what a timing! And so yeah, so and those events like this, and then other harvesting events, whatever you do, think about it. What contextually would work for you? You know, in different congregations, we've done it differently. But but what can you do to intentionally um, stimulate our people's mind and thinking and heart about evangelism? Yeah. Yeah, that intentionality and that which is culturally and contextually appropriate. Uh, and I was thinking about uh, knocking on doors and going door to door, and people say, well, that doesn't work. Well, that that's not true. It depends on where we're talking about. Because we go out and knock on doors and have conversations with people regularly, and um, they're open to those kinds of things, and and lo and behold, they get saved as well. Uh, and I wish, um, you know, go, having gone out with you in New Orleans, uh, and I'm fascinated uh, with the gift of the evangelist. I believe you're that, uh, which is awesome to see evangelism 
being done by one who has the gift of the evangelist. This could be a whole different conversation and how we in our churches have lost um, the utilization of those who have the gift of the evangelist. Because what I believe is it encourages people and people who say things like, oh, well, that stuff doesn't work. Cold turkey evangelism doesn't work. All these different aspects and ways of evangelism don't work. Well, if you see it work, then you realize, well, it does work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know having gone out with you, I remember we walked up to this house in New Orleans. There was a man sitting on the front porch, uh, and you engage him in a conversation. I might have been a student, or maybe I was in the, uh, maybe I just uh, come on faculty. And you engage him in a conversation. Within 10 minutes, you've helped him to understand that he sinned against God and he needs Christ. And I remember you saying, Is that, does, does that sound like something you would like to do today? And I was thinking in my mind, Man, there's no way. And he said, well, yeah, it does. And it was so genuine. It was so earnest. And it wasn't my downplaying or minimization of you. It was the impact and the effect of having heard over and over again, that doesn't work, that doesn't work, that doesn't work. And then you see it work, and you realize, oh, wait, um, it does work. And maybe maybe there, there are things that we might need to try a little bit more before we say it doesn't work. Are you a ministry wife? Do you long for community and encouragement from like-minded women? Do you wish you were more prepared for all that you do? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I'd love to invite you to join Thrive. This is our Ministry Wives Certificate Program that prepares women for gospel ministry in their families, churches, and communities. Our eight-week classes can be taken on our New Orleans campus or online. You just choose whatever fits your schedule best. For more information or to apply, visit prepareher.com slash thrive. Back to um, the the issue with evangelism and evangelists in general. Um, why have we gone away from harvesters? We'll use that term, right? Why have we gone away from harvesters and the use of harvesters, uh, and how can we reclaim that in our churches? I know there was this stigma associated with the revivalists, quote unquote, mm-hmm. the revivalists or the evangelists, but it is a biblical uh, it is a biblical position. It's a biblical function and gift to the church, the gift of the evangelist, not evangelism, the evangelist. So talk to me about that that harvester, that evangelist, his role in the church and why we need to reclaim the use of that role. Before, if, if, if you would allow me, yeah, before absolutely. we uh, jump into the harvesters, let's talk about a little cold turkey, as people say, or yeah, you know, stranger yeah. evangelism. Um, because, you know, if you think about the New Testament, um, probably the majority of the evangelism that happened was with strangers. That's right. <laughs> I mean, think about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. They, they met for a short period of time. They've never seen each other. And, you know, the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, was credited with opening Africa for Christ. <laughs> yeah. And so biblically we have those examples of just God providentially bringing people together. So what it assumes that God is sovereign, mm. that God prepares your heart as well as he prepares others yeah. and other hearts. It might not be you, but it's another person, other people sowing the seeds of the gospel in lives of those people, and then at the right time bringing you and that person together. And even this past Sunday, 
you know, the the road that, you know, that I was assigned. So I, I don't even select roads. You just you tell me where you want to go. Because, you know, that if I start selecting and say, no, you're, you know, you already have yeah, prepared you, time. Yeah, you're cherry picking. You're, you're, no, you're, you're cherry, cherry picking. No, yeah. like, you okay, so this lady came to me. She's in her 80s, and she's traveled with me around the world. I mean, just a great lady, Miss Georgia. And uh, so we go together, and so we go to several houses, you know, and people are very cordial. And uh, we've done it for a year, and nobody has ever slammed the door. I found out people say it doesn't work. People are very cordial, very yeah. respectful. Doesn't doesn't mean that all of them will get saved or come to faith in Christ, but they. And you have to be delicate and sensitive of their time needs, what what's happening in their lives. And so we were able to talk to a number of people, but just mention two. One uh, was a uh, a high schooler outside washing something, I guess, an assignment. So we started, picked up a conversation with him about him doing a chore. And 15 minutes later, he got saved. Yeah. Uh, and he got saved not because of my clever presentation, but because the Holy Spirit has mm-hmm. prepared him already. He's yeah. been in church. People have been witnessing to him. He, he just needed that harvesting moment. Mm. Uh, then... A uh, couple houses from this individual ran into a lady. She was very, very interested. She was listening. I guess it was like one of the few times she heard the gospel proclaimed. But the moment I transitioned to Jesus, mm. and that's what usually happens. You know, people yeah. are very interested and they're very sensitive to what you're saying. But the moment you transition to Jesus and the claims of Christ, she's like, I'm sorry, I got to go. Mm. I mean, it was like a a nice smiling person all of a sudden was hardened. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's time for me to go, it's time for you to go. So but two instances where we saw the so uh, the seeds of the gospel uh, sown in the lives of people. So uh, I believe that, you know, um, you know, knocking on doors evangelism or witnessing to a stranger is not the only types of evangelism, but we cannot discredit it because it's Paul said that he proclaimed the gospel publicly and from house to house. Mm-hmm. You know, we see the precedence of witnessing to strangers. So it's one of the ways how we could uh, share the gospel. Now, also what I've seen is that the greater the credibility of the church within the community, the more people are open to those cold turkey calls. Yeah. If they know the church and they believe, they know that the church is blessing the community, they're more open to listening. The communities where, um, you know, the church or local church does not have a good reputation, it's a lot harder uh, to do, you know, because I think the issue of integrity, um, you know, people's like, why would I want to listen? Because that's what I know is happening within your church. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, circling back to, uh, the harvesters, yeah. um, just, you know, the Bible is very clear that the gift of evangelist is an office that is God's gift to the church. And I think we, um, you know, because of the abuses perhaps of this office, we just said we're not going to use them altogether. And, and then conde- uh, pandemic hit, and we just have departed from those um, large-scale events. But I really believe it's still, um, still, God is still using the harvesters. Let me just give you one example right now, yeah. and you might want to invite 
um, Gary Dennis. And you remember Gary oh, Dennis? Oh, yeah. yeah. You went, you, you we were in the PhD, PhD program, program together. Time. So he is right now in the midst of true uh, revival. I've heard this. I heard, somebody was telling o- me about this. Over 400 people, they had to extend the revival that they started with a full-time evangelist like four times. Wow. They had this church that is running about 300 already had over 400 people saved. Goodness. This is happening right, right now. now. That's right now. It's happening in all in in Hammond area. Wow. And the guy that is preaching here is a vocational evangelist. Really? So talking about the harvest yeah. and it's like it's just I mean miraculous things and even this guy is surprised what's happening in that community. Hmm. And so talking about and but I think what's happening because of the past how we've departed from them then for what you know, there's several reasons we don't really need to get into that. But and then with the pandemic, we kind of moved away from those mass evangelistic events. And so I think there's a hunger for um, the office of an evangelist to be redeployed within the local church. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Uh, and for for the church to be encouraged with um, with seeing evangelism the gospel going forth and people responding it just encourages it and enlivens people that they can see the gospel still has a its effect um in lives it changes lives people are still responding um and to see that it it is powerful in the lives of people we certainly need to reclaim that um in some ways yeah I, i think um what as a pastor uh, you know, we live in a visual society, and so think about how can you visually, in the course of your regular worship services, remind people about the priority of evangelism. So here's some of the ways how you would do it is when people get saved, make a big deal about it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, think about it. We cheer, we clap when, you know, we have a fellowship and we have people that have responded and prepared some food and say, hey, let's stand, let's clap. Yeah, cook. yeah. And we should. And it's great. It's wonderful, right? When was the last time, last time you said, or you heard a pastor say, you know, this boy got saved. Let's just rejoice because his mother or his Sunday school teacher, life group leader, led him to faith in Christ. Let's celebrate that. Yeah. I mean, what's more valuable? The food that you cook or the soul that gets saved. Mm. So we got to think about visually what can we do to to change the value that we attach to different ministry within our church. So if we really believe souls matter, let's celebrate it. Yeah, that's let's, good. Let, let's 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 celebrate together because when you do that, that encourages people. Say so that that's matter. That matters. Let's let's prioritize that. Uh, also, um, you know, from time to time, especially it's seasonal, like leading maybe to Easter, you know, it's probably would be a good time, um, you know, do an emphasis like for three months. And I've done it in various settings and in various ways. But let me give you one example. Uh, just um, in the church that I was serving as interim at um, First Mandeville, we erected a cross before Easter. And so in January, I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. As, as we're leading to Easter, I want you to think of people that you know that are lost that you commit to pray for and invite and share the gospel to, uh, to our, you know, to regular 
worship services, especially Easter, and then looking for opportunities to share the gospel. And if you're willing to commit to pray, here's what I'm going to do. I want you to come. There will be a white card, index card. You're going to put their name or initial or whatever. And then here's nails, and you're going to nail it to the cross. And so that cross will stay here through Easter. And so every time you come to the worship service, I want you to pray for that person that you put on the card. Not somebody else, but that person. Yeah. And so then when you uh, when you share the gospel with that person, when you intentionally had a gospel touch with the person, what I want, I want you to do, here's a green index card. I want you to put it on top of that green index card. Oh, wow. All right? And then yeah. if that, peop- that person gets saved, here's the red index card. We're going to put it on top of that. Huh. And so, and so for, you know, three or four months, whatever, mm-hmm. you're dealing with the time frame that's in the minds and the hearts of people that's seen what the gospel is doing in their community. Now, when you're a pastor, you know, you have to lead. So you have to be the first one putting yeah. the card. You have to be the first one putting the green <laughs> index card, you know, yeah. because it's noticed. And then you have to equip your people what you're going to do it and how they're going to do it, you know, and, you know, there are different ways. I mean, the simple, the simplest ways, like Newsom, I think for me, it's like, you know, every pastor needs to develop their own gospel track. You know, just like that, the way how they present the gospel, then attach it on the business card on one side, and then on the other side put the services <laughs> and do it really nice. And so, yeah. and then have it available for your church members everywhere they go sharing the gospel and inviting people to your local congregation. That's, that's, that's simple. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so uh, that, that, that was very effective because we've seen a lot of people come to faith in Christ. And so I think, think about, think creatively, think innovatively how and contextually how it will work for your church, but it needs to be visual. Like in one congregation, one p- pastor is um, basically Every time somebody gets saved during the week, he will have a candle burning in the congregation. <laughs> so there's no, nobody getting saved. He's like fussing to these people. Where's people? And yeah. and so, but I, I probably would not do that. But 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 think about it visually. Yeah, some visual reminder. Some visual reminder yeah. of what are we doing in the area of evangelism. Yeah, that's good. Uh, that's good. Well, Dr. Jake, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And uh, it's a good reminder for us. The pastor leads the way. In evangelism, um, so uh, certainly they need to be engaged regularly in evangelism, emphasizing that, providing opportunities for the church to be engaged intentionally, uh, and then also providing opportunities for those to harvest events or harvest opportunities. So thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it, brother. I appreciate you. Thank you for your your willingness to serve the Lord and encourage us towards evangelism. Uh, and we pray the Lord would continue to bless you in that and use you. Thank you so much. What a privilege to be with you. And we're praying for Kasky and what, how the Lord is using the program in the lives of um, hundreds and thousands of people. Amen. We appreciate it. Thanks, Thank brother. You. Thanks for listening to To Win the Many, a podcast of the Kasky Center at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. The Caskey Center for Church Excellence provides ministerial resources, including undergraduate and graduate scholarships for ministers serving Southern Baptist churches 
in Alabama, Indiana, Louisiana, Mississippi, Montana, and Wyoming. For access to additional resources or more information about our scholarship opportunities, visit our website at kaskycenter.com or nobts.edu.